You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, all you wiretappers out there. Once again, I'm in the studio. Gangland Wire. You know, I am on the phone now with a pretty well-known guy, especially back in the day, Michael DeLeonardo. I hope I didn't butcher that up too bad. Mike, I've got this Northwest Missouri nasal twang, and and, and sometimes I get too many vowels in the name, I, I butcher the heck out of them. I need to get my butcher's apron on. I, I was 11 years old before I could articulate the name properly. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, and uh, so you you were a, a a capo in the in the Gotti family, actually the Gambino family, which is kind of interesting. It it stayed it it kept the Gambino family name all the way to present time in in the news. I've noticed, and Gotti's name didn't ever get attached to that. I've never understood how they attach a name to a, a crime family, but but you were you know you were born into this thing almost. It, it looks to me like so. Uh, could you uh, start out a little bit about uh, your family history? And, and how you were, uh, what, what we call a legacy into uh, the La Cosa Nostra? Yeah, sure. Um, my family goes back, uh, I'm Sicilian, and my family goes back uh, a couple hundred years being involved in the mafia or Cosa Nostra or, or another time called Fratnazella. They had different terms for what they called each other years ago and then how it migrated to the States. So my great-grandfather, my grandfather, which got here in uh, 1895 with his family, when he got to the country, he was already set up. The, the people he went to see from people that was from Sicily, that way he was sent over to the people he had to go see in, in the States. And he was only 15 when he got here, and they went to Lower Manhattan. And uh, that was really like the nucleus of uh, the mafia between there and the Bronx. It was probably the, the two main hubs in New York, outside of like Louisiana, which was really the first heavy migrations of Sicilians in the mafia in the country which a lot of people really don't know unless you're an aficionado of this stuff. A lot of Sicilians went to uh, Louisiana, New Orleans. So uh, my upbringing in, in this life uh, was at the knee. You know, everything I seen and everything I heard, even though my father was not a member or any of his uh, two brothers were a member, my grandfather kept them out, outside of the, getting into that life. My father had a very bad temper. And my uncles, they weren't really made for that type of life. You know, he, 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 but that, everybody was a cousin, everybody was an uncle that was close to our family. So when my grandfather came here, and uh, it was really almost like sent here with his father to go see these certain people in New York, you know, it, it, it's a culture. It's a way of life. And uh, and this is how these Italians stuck together, even take advantage of their own at times. Legitimate part of the Italian people that came here. I guess things like uh, Caruso and uh, all these entertainers and shop owners. So they, they fed and preyed on their own kind also at that time. You know, this was established. This isn't some, This isn't like a, a gang that just emanated, just sprung up. They had roots. It's just how they attached those roots in the states with politicians, law enforcement, unions, etc. And they helped how they built this empire, which is still today in the states not that the magnitude it once was because they don't control the judges and the politicians the way they used to or the unions for that matter so when my family got here in the uh you know in the late 1800s they there was like almost like welcoming committee so mm-hmm. and that's how they step into the life and that's how my grandfather gets started at a very young age and then he gets to be a, a very strong figure which was 
before it was called the Gambino family, it was uh, his kumbada who he uh, baptized uh, his daughter, and, uh, and this guy uh, baptized my father, was a guy called uh, Salvatore D'Aguila, which was really one of the first boss or bosses of the whole country. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. He put people in just about every family or, you know, uh, in the country at one time. They, they would call them like he put a spy in a family. That's what came to say later on by press or, or, or you know, organized crime law enforcement. But uh, he, uh, you know, he had these general assemblies that were in place before and then after he, he uh, continued this. You know, this, it, it, you know, when you hear these stories as a young man, and, you know, I didn't hear from my grandfather, of course, but I hear from my father, my uncles, then later on that two older brothers, nine to ten years my senior, you know, you hear these stories. And, and other people in the neighborhood, because my neighborhood was like 80% Sicilian and about 95% Italian. Hmm. And we didn't have just like a couple of blocks. We had, you know, Brooklyn was one of the biggest cities in the country. You know, this is how you how you, you see what's going on around you without saying I'm a product of my environment. Yeah. Because that's a lame excuse. Yeah. That's nobody's a product of their environment. You're born in an environment. You could do as an independent thinker. Yeah. Uh, you go in the direction you want to be. You want to be a drug addict, and where where's drug drug addicts hang out? You be a drug addict. If you yeah. want to be a drug addict. You don't hang out with drug addicts. Yeah. If you want to be in the mob and you emulate or you idolize those figures, and you want to lead that past, then you try to, you know, grow in that life. If you don't want it, you go be a lawyer, go be a cop. Yeah. You know. So, like I said, what I seen, what I, I, you know, my perspective of what I seen, I seen a total amount of uh, people respect uh, how they handle themselves, how they handle their families. I, I gravitated to that. Interesting. You know, as a teenager, then a uh, young man, we all kind of want to. Uh, you know, we have these <laughs> expressing ourselves and and starting to move into something. I, I would assume that. Uh, you probably started getting into some kind of crime as a teenager in, in order to be noticed by somebody or, or they would start noticing that because, you know, you don't into a crime family or any kind of organization like that. They're not just going to take anybody in. You're going to have to uh, all of a sudden rumors will start. Hey, you hear this Mikey kid? Uh, uh, you know, hey, he's pretty tough. You know, he can, he, he can handle himself. Well, you know, you, you, you got a, you a real valid point. Like, you know, when I was a kid, my grandfather bought two houses when he when he started making some money when he first got over here and got married. He went to Manhattan, then he moved to Brooklyn where he bought these houses. Uh, it was a double yard, and my grandfather was old-school Italian, and he had his grapes, he had his figs, he had his cherry trees, he had his peach trees, he had all his fruits and vegetables. He would tend to his garden every day and then go to the club, you know, or continue on his business. I would get the, the fig season would come along. Yeah. And they called me Michael Lee. He, that's, he spoke very, very broken English and very mm -hmm. little, limited uh, English. He said, Michael, go bring the fix to Paulie. Go bring the fix to Jerry at the club. These two guys that he was talking about uh, were much older than I. Their fathers were murdered in the mob. Mm -hmm. And they were very close to my grandfather, like I was saying earlier with this one guy, Daguila, uh, was my, god, my, my father's godfather. And he was murdered uh, October 10th, 1928. Uh, and this was this guy was the whole guy, the guy who ran the country at one time. Yeah. So that was my father's godfather, and my father got to know this guy because he was killed around when my father was 16 years old. My father was born 12, 1912. Huh. So you know, these were my cousins, even though there was no blood. Yeah. These were my cousins because my grandfather looked after their kids, after their fathers were murdered, mm -hmm. and their daughters, and the whole family. Like uh, Dagwell is, if my grandfather bought a piano for my father or somebody in the house, 
their family got a piano after he was dead. You know, so they we remained extremely close. Like I said, I grew up calling cousin, not uncle. Right. So as a young boy now at eight, nine, ten years old, go up the go up the block and bring the fix, I would go in and I'd be hanging out with all these older men. Yeah. They give me a quarter, fifty cents, who gives you a dollar and as you get older you get that five dollars, you're hanging around the club, and you get older you get twenty dollars, you're hanging around the club. So everybody knows you. Yeah. In that circle. And it's not just one family. You know, of the five families, a lot of people get to know. Hey, that's that's what's Tony's son. That's Mr. Jimmy's grandson. Yeah. You know? And uh, oh, that's Paul Paulie's cousin. Yeah. So everybody, you know, that travels around the street get to know you. Now I had I had really three sets of friends. I had the guys I grew up playing ball with because I was I, I was considered myself an athlete. I like to play baseball, football, football, etc. I had those set uh, set of friends. Then I had my gang friends was in, in itself separate than the, 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 the sport guys. And my gang friends is where I put, built my rep up as a street guy, yeah. as a street kid. And then I had the older guys, which I just continue, like I said, as a little boy, would go to the club and see my cousins, Jerry and Paulie, and all the rest of the people in the neighborhood. It, and I would, you know, it wasn't just that you, you, you walk in, I was this kid. You know, it was like, uh, what do you want to eat, Michael? What do you want? What do you want something? Go in the back, go in the refrigerator. You want to play cards later on? You want to play cards? We teach you how to play pinochle. So it's 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 something like a, a huge club yeah. that you understand what they're about. For me to get in, get into that circle was extremely easy. Like I said, through lineage. So to emulate guys that you know and you look up, you know, as a little boy, that they're coming to pat you on the head, giving you money and giving uh, some nice accolades and stuff, and big, it's like. You know, it's natural. It's a natural progression. It's hard to explain to somebody that don't understand that that comes off the street and says, how do you get in the mob? Yeah. <laughs> yeah like you yeah. said earlier, it's, it, it don't happen that easy. Right. You, know? you got to prove yourself in some manner. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's guys like, uh, I'll take give you a name, Sammy Corgano. Yeah. His father really had no connections outside of a little connection he had with uh, somebody he knew that protected his uh, dress shop. But yeah. Sammy wasn't growing up at the knee of of uh, that kind of mobster. Sammy was a street fighter. Sammy grew up in the street fighting. Yeah. And he built his way through the street. He blasted his way and like John Gotti and a lot of other guys. I say when a guy comes up on his own without any family history yeah. to push him, yeah. he, you blast your way in, especially if you, you're prone to violence, which these guys were. Interesting. So, yeah, there's different ways to get in. You know, I guess before we, we move away from your uh, earlier years, uh, you got the nickname Mikey Scars. And I've had discussions with other people about nicknames. And sometimes the press give them, sometimes the cops do, and the press picks up on it. And sometimes they've been given a nickname by their, their peers, uh, their their brothers or their family or, or their pals because of something. Now, how'd you get the nickname Mikey Scars? I come from an Italian neighborhood. There's a lot of Michaels, a lot of Tonys, a lot of Denny's. Yeah. So yeah. You know, there's always a thing distinguishing of, of the person because, again, it was a really big neighborhood. It was, you know, a million people there. So uh, I was bitten by a dog at a young age, 8 or 10 years old, something like that. And uh, I ripped off my cheek, off yeah. my face. And I had a scar. I had yeah. a really bad scar on the back. You know, you're talking the 60s. And... Um, uh, and I got very lucky. I wasn't really deformed. I thought there was a plastic surgeon there. So anyway, I had this scar on my face, and you know you're embarrassed as a kid. Yeah. So now you know you you got you played ball. Who's that? Who who, 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 who did what? Michael? Who, who played Michael's team? Who, which Michael? Michael with the scar on his face. Yeah. Uh, who's that guy from Bath Avenue? Oh, that, those, those kids are Mikey Scar's friends. Yeah. The guy with the scars, Mikey's now becomes Mikey Scar's, and yeah. that's how it. I, the name, did I like the name? No. I never referred to myself ever as that. Yeah. Ever. 
Yeah. If I get uh, Michael, but I didn't know Mike, no Mikey, it yeah. was Michael. You know how others refer to you is different, but for myself, yeah. I always said, where, and if, if I didn't know a person, I'd say, we have Michael from where? No Michael from there, there. Yeah. And then, 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 then they found out, well, you know, if they didn't know. You should have told me. I, I would call. I'd be happy to call you, Michael. I just uh, <laughs> no, 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 listen. Like I said, uh, people just don't know. And, yeah. uh, you know. And, and the message was: every time somebody knew me when I was in the street or something, I see Mike. I know that person that know me. Yeah. You yeah. Know, I see. Yeah. Yeah. The, the people that knew me call me Michael. Interesting. Yeah. I tell you what, that you got that native intelligence, man. <laughs> that <laughs> discerns among people uh, who they are and what they're about. I can see that right now. You were lucky in a way you had a really tough nickname when you were a kid, you know? You, you, you yeah. could have been known Fat Mikey or something, right? you yeah, know? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you should be happy for that. I always wanted, I always wanted a tough nickname when I was a kid. I, never, I didn't have a, I just, they called me Gary or Jinx. <laughs> you know what? You know, the government, uh, they always play nicknames up because it sounds uh, yeah, yeah. sinister, black, black. Uh, yeah. You know, it sounds, but Yankee Clipper. Who was the Yankee Clipper? <laughs> yeah. The Maggio. Yeah, the Maggio. <laughs> so the Maggio, come on. You know, so uh, the Clipper. What does that mean? Uh, the government plays those names up. Yes, they know, do. <laughs> and the press it loves it. I mean, they love it. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, another kind of interesting parallel, shall we say, I just was talking to an FBI agent who actually was born in Sicily and came over here as a young kid, and he goes ends up being an FBI agent, and he works in Kansas City, and and, and he, when he went to law school, he went to law school up in Chicago, and he went to law school with the, the nephew of one of their, uh, well, I think he was a, a crew leader, a capo or something in, in the outfit up there named Jackie Cerrone, and, and Cerrone's, uh, I believe, nephew was going to law school with uh, uh, Lee at the same time, and and they started calling each other cuz. Because, uh, I, I mean, you just, you know, I've noticed that. You just call each and everybody thinks you're a cousin, but you just call each other cuz or cousin. You're my cousin, and, and you, because you both have these real close Sicilian roots or, or some kind of a roots that are close. And and so he's down here in Kansas City, and, and the local mob boss tells him one day, Nick Sabella is his name, Nick Savella tells Lee, he said, uh, his name is uh, Leon Flossie, he, he tells him, he said, you know, he said, your uncle is not really happy with you and what you're doing here. And, and he thought, what's he talking about? And he finally figured out that Nick had been checking him out all the way back to law school and to, with the outfit because they knew he came from Chicago and found out he had gone to law school with this Jackie Cerrone's nephew and wow. they were friends and they called each other cuz and he thought Cerrone was really his uncle. Wow. Imagine that. <laughs> well, you, you know, you're, you're onto something because if you ask most of the sayings, you know, there's very few that I ever heard say they were Italian. Yeah. Most of the sayings, when you ask them, they'll say they're Sicilian. Mm-hmm. You know, what's, what, are you Italian? No, I'm Sicilian. Yeah. There's always been a distinction. This goes back to unification, Italy and all that other stuff, Garibaldi. And uh, Sicily, Sicily was like stepchild and uh, never part of the mainland until uh, Garib- Garibaldi unified them. Well, going through that history, Sicily is one of the most conquered place countries ever. I got to call Sicily a country. Yeah. Because at the time, they're unknown. They're one of the most conquered ever. And the influx of food and, and mixture of blood 
through rapes or marriages or whatever it was at the time, they became so bitter with so many people after a while, you know, the yeah. French, the Spanish, you know, go right down the line, the Moors, yeah. you keep going down the line. So Sicilians have this own independence and, and, and rigidity towards uh, being called uh, an Italian. <laughs> yeah. So um, moving right along, I guess, when you're in your 20s and, and you're going to the, uh, I'm looking here, my research said that you were going to this Veterans and Friends Social Club in Brooklyn, which is part of the Gambino family, which would be where you would go. Uh, it seems like uh, that's kind of where you, you got started, and that's where your your, your cousins were, <laughs> the ones that your cousins, your mentors Kind of how did well, you how did you progress yeah. after that? I guess yeah. Well, actually, I got started way before that. I got started way before that. Uh, I had my own social clubs. I had my own crew of guys. Uh, you know, I had my own uh, recognition. Ah. When uh, when Carlo Gambino dies, and uh, I think it's the fall of '75, uh, Paul Castellano was already in, in, involved in opening up that club in, right by my where I you know where we live in Bensonhurst, actually Bed Beach, Brooklyn. That social club, Veterans Friends, was my family's charter to open the social club. Ah, yeah, that was that was my, from my family. You know, when when uh, Paul opened that club, Paul Castellano opened that club. He was there basically every Thursday and every Sunday, occasional Monday nights. About that time, uh, all the captains, all, all the soldiers would migrate to the club to see Paul. Yeah, you know, everybody blames John for ordering everybody to come around, which he did. Yeah. Uh, later on in, in, in time, which wasn't too much later on, but Paul just did about the same thing without ordering everybody to come around, and everybody would go around there. So I got to meet more people at that time. Again, I'm 21 years old in '76. Yeah. You know, I would go there with my my baseball uniform on. They, as a matter of fact, the FBI showed me photos, uh, surveillance photos with me and my baseball <laughs> football outfits. I got long hair, but it's the '70s. I got long hair. Yeah. All these guys got fedoras on, cropped hair, straight leg yeah. pants, smoking cigars, and <laughs> yeah. here's this kid standing outside. You know. But again, my my you know my transition into that was. Like anything else, it's like going to the grocery store. Yeah. I just went to the club. Again, it was my, my family's charter. Paul asked if we could have the charter. And of course, my father went and got it with my uncle, and they brought it to the club and, and uh, incorporated it again. Uh-huh. And that's how it comes better than a friend. So when I'm there, I get to meet a lot of people that I don't from, from out of state, the captains and, and soldiers that would come around and uh, pay homage to Paul. You know, you got to meet everybody. Different families, of course. I got to know. So now my exposure being around because I would go dressed you know after the ball after I played ball I would get dressed and go back you know put his college shirt on nice pair of slacks and fancy shoes and all that stuff and go show up and just sit there and listen yeah sit there and listen not talk unless you're spoken to say minimal words that's the way I was taught you know did you get to know everybody yeah so now now I got a different world you know what I mean that's a different segue for me because uh, you know when you run into somebody and you move around the city as you get older oh yeah you'll you know, oh, didn't I see you by uh, Paul's club? Oh, yeah, yeah, how you doing? I'm sorry. Yeah, we are friends with Paul Zach and this and that. It's not talking. So you develop these relationships with older people. My thing was I had a, 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 a niche. Till today, I like older people. Yeah. You know, so that was one set of my friends also growing up was the older guys, like yeah. I articulated earlier. I had a club around the corner from Paul. Okay. As a matter of fact, one, it's like a, it's like a little, like a half a city block away. I was allowed to open up a club, my own club with my own friends. On the, uh, right a half a block away huh. from Paul. So, you know, uh, it, 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 like I said, it, everything was easy for me. 
And who's on the other corner? The Lucchese guys, you know, <laughs> Tony Corallo's guys. It was another half a block, and we used to stay in the Chinese restaurant, go to their bar. Yeah. Like Gas Pie Tasso and Dick Amuso uh, used to hang out. So, you know, you, they, everybody knows you, like I said. So I started Shylocking at a young age before uh-huh. that. I started bookmaking at a young age, taking sports. Now, I give like uh, $100 loans out. $100 yeah. a week, and you pay back $120, $10 a week. Yeah. You know, they're like called the knockdown loans. But that, like I said, I started that when I was a kid. I had a book and I was Shylocking as a kid. So and then you take bets with friends, and you go back and forth. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it, 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 it wasn't even like it was a crime. It, it probably wouldn't seem like it's a crime, especially the sports booking and, and then that kind of almost closed community that you lived in. And the Shylock and a lot of people, you know, they didn't have payday loan places ever on every corner and people no, didn't need something to tide them over. <laughs> you were you were the payday loan guy. Yeah, exactly. And there was plenty of Shylocks available at different levels. Yeah. You know, there's people they give and I give out a hundred dollar loan. My, my biggest loan I remember one time when I started getting a little big it was five hundred. I said five hundred. What if this guy runs away? <laughs> yeah. I'm lose five hundred? Yeah. That's a lot of money then. You know, <laughs> yeah. The seventies and early, you know, late seventies, uh, early eighties. Yeah. So now, you know, when uh, Paulie Zacker wanted to be one of my mentors, Paul Zacharia, you know, he seen my ability to uh, collect money and then use me on uh, some assaults and stuff like that, and vandalisms and other things like that. He says, uh, "I'll put you in action. I'll get you ten thousand dollars. You pay a point a week." And he gave me a guy to give me ten thousand dollars, ten thousand dollars, so I could build up my shallot business. Uh-huh. I, I don't have to give out $100 loans no more. I still give them out, but now I can give out $1,000 loans. Yeah. You know, and now I'm collecting interest every week. I would give charge like 2 or 3% a week, more like 3% a week at the time. Not No more knockdown loans. And then, uh, you know, you build up your business and if you're fiscally responsible, you're not a degenerate gambler, which I did have a problem gambling later on. You know, you can make a lot of money. Yeah. I and you have the rapper ready. You don't have to threaten anybody anymore because they know you got to pay because that's the way of the world. There's plenty of Shylocks. Yeah. It doesn't really pay you to kill somebody. You just got to keep yeah. messing with them, got to keep messing with them, <laughs> and eventually they'll pay you. Yeah, you know what? There's different, again, the Shylock, a guy owns a grocery store or a banker, you're shrinking everything you do. Yeah. You know what I mean? You, you give out money as uh, groceries and uh, run a tab with somebody. Sooner or later, somebody's not going to pay. You're yeah. not going to have it. It's, it's about your personality also. What kind of guy you want to be as a Shylock? You want to be known as a real creep? Real, excuse my language, you want to be a real scumbag? Yeah. You know, you could be, but then there's other guys that you could go on the lamb across the street. We used to say there was one guy, Anthony Spiro, a wow, beautiful guy. He was a concierge of Bayana family later on in life. But, you know, he was such a nice guy, made a lot of money. Yeah, everybody used to goof on him. Yeah. And, and you know, kid around and say, if you, you could borrow money off a spirit, go on the lamb across your street, he won't check you. Yeah. <laughs> it, but he was a pillar of society. This guy should build a statue of Benson Ernesto over him. You know, criminal, but uh, nonetheless, he was good for the community. Yeah. The community guy. You know? <laughs> so, again, that, those are, that, 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 that was my, my, my upbringing. After Paul opened the club, you're right. I springboarded up after that. Yeah. I got to meet different people. I started to become older, more mature. 76, I was 21. So uh, now you start moving around. So, you know, uh, restaurants, you're making some money, you go to restaurants, and where do you go? You gravitate to the restaurants where all the gangsters hang out. Yeah. <laughs> and now you go into clubs, discotheques and stuff. Well, you know, all the, all the older guys spending big money going out, they're drinking and having a party, girls all over, cars all over, you know, and, and you, you wind up in that circle. Yeah. You know, it, it's a glorified life at the time. 
when you have no issues. Yeah, you, you probably yeah. never you probably never used that. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm a connected guy to to impress a girl on one of those joints, did no, you? No, 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 no. Look, first of all, that that, that wasn't me. You know, you I, didn't I, do I that. Myself, okay, good. <laughs> no, I, I found myself very talkative. Okay, today, you know, because my life is an open book and what I did, but you couldn't get nothing out of me. My <laughs> wife, my wife, she comes from a complete mob family. Her yeah. family is uh, Frankie Chico was a cousin. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, uh, and he got blown up. He was the underboss of the family one time. She knew, you know, the street. She knew. She was a street girl. She didn't do no crimes in the street, you know, but she knew but the she way knew. the world yeah. of the street, you know. She, I could never, I never told anything in life. She would ask me something. I never, never, she would never, even if she tried to ask me, it would be none of your business. Yeah. Go ask your father. <laughs> Things like that, you know. But she would never go down the road. Even, uh, Madeline, my now wife, never, never, ever would I subject them or put them in a position to know anything about me. Uh, interesting. You want to read something in the newspaper? That's on you. Yeah. I never tell you anything. Yeah. And where a lot of guys, they did exactly later on what you did. There yeah. Was people, I would go to a club and a girl would tell me, yeah, it just got made. I would look at that and say, what, yeah, what the fuck are you talking about? I can imagine <laughs> somebody's yeah, talking. Just got made. Joey just got made. <laughs> yeah. I said, what the hell's good? These guys, well, who told you that? He told me. Oh, what? shit. <laughs> well, uh, well, you got to be king for a party for himself in Staten Island. Yeah. What? <laughs> you know? So, you know, it, it, that's part of the demise and the watering down of, of the vacuum effects from different people co- cooperating yeah. and murders that happen. You know, the, that old school and that, that grind and the me stage. We yeah. become a me stage. The mob has even become a me stage. Facebook and all this other stuff. Yeah. So, uh, you know, people announcing who they are. Uh, you know who I am. I know, yeah. I know who are you. got a badge? You got something on your chest? What do you got? You got sign? What do you got? Card? What do you got? No idea. What are you fucking kidding me? I got an FBI agent friend here that worked with on the uh, local family for years, and recently, actually, I was uh, I made I made a, a documentary film about uh, us working on the mob here in Kansas City and exposing the skim from Las Vegas, and I was part of that investigation, and and I, I taped Bill telling Bill Owsley was his name or is his name, and I taped him talking about that, and and he had a little aside that I caught on tape that I end up putting under the credits in the, mill, uh, in the film. And, and he says, you know, he says back in the old days, you know, he said they had $100 suits and, and uh, manicures and, and well-cut hair. And, and, and he said, what do you got today? He said, you got ch- gold chains and track suits. He said, it's just gone. <laughs> yeah, that, that, was, uh, that was the 80s. That's what, that was the 80s, exactly. And, 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 it, and it got uh, worse in some circles where <laughs> – just, just an example. Which brings me to this question I have of you. When did you cut your hair? You had your hair kind of long at one time. You cut it. And, and I know in Kansas City, our boss, Nick Savelli, he hated a young guy with long hair. It, we we had one, and, and they were talking. And he, this dude ends up getting found in the in the trunk of his car but they were talking about him badmouthing him on a wiretap not you know not like they were going to kill him they just badmouthed him and he said what's with what's up with this fucking guy he looks like a fucking hippie <laughs> yeah, right. so, we had hippies and yeah so you had to hippies, cut your hair yeah but the hippies were shoulder length and longer yeah. like yeah. Now, you know what? That's a pretty good question. You know, I was never ever asked to cut my hair. Yeah, no. really. They thought it, I bet. I bet somebody yeah. older guys thought it. Yeah, 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 the old timers <laughs> did. But you know what? They had kids and they had grandkids too. Yeah, yeah, they that's true. Long hair. You know, it, 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 I, I started to cut my hair as the style changed. 
Yeah, yeah. You went to the disco era. You know, this disco era bloomed the late seventies, just about, and everybody had that short cropped haircut. They start getting clean. Yeah, look, everybody had the same thing, but New York, slick it back. Yeah, you know, straight all the way back. So. <laughs> That I went along with the times, but it's interesting. I never thought about that. Nobody's ever told me to come. <laughs> okay, like I said, I'm not a facial hair guy, so I never had a problem. I don't believe I never had a mustache, never had a beard. Yeah, I can never grow one anyway. I don't think. Yeah, uh, no, I wasn't. That never interested me. So I never ran into that problem. Yeah, this guy, this guy in Kansas City, absolutely refused to allow anybody to come in the social club that had a beard at one point in time. And he finally relaxed when, when he got real old and his brother uh, wanted to grow a beard as a, like an old man. But <laughs> but for a long time, there was no facial hair, none right. at that yeah. social club. That's true. That's true. I, I didn't know it was in Kansas City. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I guess it was. Uh, interesting. Okay. Now, moving right along here, I guess uh, uh, you fell in with the, uh, you know, John Gotti, he's, he's the big duck in, in this mob uh, entertainment business, shall we say. You put up something on Facebook or some story about Gotti, and, and you get five, ten times as many uh, hits or as atten- much attention as anything else. And, and you were you were right in there from the early days at, uh, as he kind of started his rise. Uh, tell these my fans out there well, a little I, bit about that, how you... How you- I, I can tell you a quick story, which is really uh, an inter- interesting uh, thought on the mentality at one point in time. Paul Castellano takes, off with, takes over in 1976, let's say, right? He's the boss. Yeah. Uh, I meet John Gotti... 79 and 78, uh, he was appointed on a committee by the commission from every family to go around, pull in all the captains and soldiers and read them the riot act under the pain of death, there'll be no drug dealing. Ah, yeah. Complete hypocrisy. Yeah. You know, but, because they were all, all the old bosses, they were all in the drug business major. Yeah, what anybody said they were major. Yeah, well, I, I'm doing a I'm doing a, a show over the next month. Uh, I've been researching it for a couple of months now on the Pizza Connection thing, and it that mm. shows how that works. That yep. uh, that whole little sub crew of Sicilians that came in for Gambino, the Gambino, his cousins, the Gambinos, the Cherry Hill mob guys, yeah, sure. and and yep. then the. Uh, 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 Carmine Galente's uh, little crew that killed him and, and kind of took it over, uh, Salvatore yeah. uh, Catalano. Catalano, Catalano yeah. yeah, and uh, Cesare Bonaventre. So uh, I'm doing a whole story on that, but go ahead. I, 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 I interrupted okay, yeah. you. There's this, this uh, committee appointed to go around and pull in the captains and the soldiers, you know, the two or three crews at a time. So uh, Paulie Zach, again, comes to me and he says, Michael, and I'm not made, I'm just associated type. He explains this whole thing, that they're going to come in, they're going to bring in Tato Aurelio's crew, Lilo Garofolo's crew, and Jimmy Brown's crew. They're going to pull them in. He says, we need a place. He says, in, in furtherance of promoting you, he says, there's going to be some guys here I want to know. For old times' sake, let's use your grandfather's basement. My grandfather had died in 71. My yeah. grandmother was still alive. So he says, for old times' sake, it'll look good. It's okay. He says, clear the basement, get in the make a nice clean, put a whole bunch of chairs around, uh, get some coffee, put some espresso up, regular coffee, get some cookies, this, that, put it on the table, no food. He says, and you and your brother wait outside while everybody comes in, and I'm going to introduce you to everybody on the way in or the way out. So I do that. So curious enough, you know, uh, on the way out, I'm going to say goodbye to everybody, and uh, Paulie says, I want you to meet this guy, John, John Gotti. I've never heard of him, you know? Yeah. He says, uh, John, uh, you got a minute before you leave, and it comes over so many words. He says, John, uh, this is the kid I was telling you about, Michael Delionato. 
And Michael, I want you to meet uh, John Gotti, real good guy, this and that. So here we exchange hellos and goodbyes and all that, he leaves. As he's walking away, John, Paul Isaac, which is stunning to me because Paul's is seeing a loyalist to Paul. And uh, and John's a lovely done. He's a new guy on the block to me. You know, to me, he's a new guy on yeah. the block. Yeah. And he says, see that guy? That's going to be our next boss. Wow. In my head, I'm thinking, next boss. Paul's just the boss. <laughs> <laughs> and he's not that old. <laughs> he's just the boss. Yeah, and, and what does that mean? You know what I mean? Really? So they seen the bright star, the shining star in John Gotti yeah. at that time. He was on his way. And he just came out of prison, I believe, a couple of years before huh. around that area. I'm not sure. That that was my first encounter with John. The next one was when he took over. Wow. You know, my friends had some business out in Queens. I went out there with him a couple of times. And there was some John Gotti guys in the gold business and stuff like that. But I never really got involved. I've never seen John. But I knew his presence now and who he was. So when my friends had some business out there, uh, with the stolen jewelry or whatever the hell they were doing, I went along for a ride just in case. Yeah, because I, you know, I could always uh, somebody gave a problem, I could always, uh, you know, invoke where I'm from. Anyway, that was the last of John until he takes over. Huh? So uh, you become a made guy. Now, can can you can you tell my people out here and tell me uh, how that went down? Uh, you have a kind of interesting story about that, which is yeah, I, I was uh, proposed several different times at, at early on, early eighties, late seventies, early eighties. But then in the mid eighties, my brother got killed. There was something over drugs with another family, so that knocked me off the off the list for a little while. And then later on, you know, things just happened. There's a list that was stopped, and there was all favors done. It came to be that when after John, uh, Sammy, and Frank Chico and Al killed Paul, uh, you have to show up more and show your face. Yeah, John was of the mentality: if I don't see you, I don't know you. Not yet. Mm-hmm. He told me that later on in life. Mm-hmm. Right, later on down the road but that was his mentality so you would have to go around more often yeah so in going around more often uh you know these lists are put out uh he, i guess he approved of me the list went out and uh he was gonna put me on a list with his son to get straightened out which is an honor yeah you know because uh he felt like uh their royalty he, later on in life again if he's you know the goddess feel like their royalty at one point at all points i should say not at one point so i was honored to be on the list with his son so John, feeling a need for a, a little protocol, does not show up. He don't want to show a little nepotism there. So he has uh, Gravano, Frank Lucasio, and his brother Gene, who was a captain at the time, and a whole bunch of other captains do the ceremony. So John stayed away from it, which would have been nice if he would have been there at that time. I mean, you, wanted, you want the boss there, but we understood the protocol and what message John wanted to send. I was told to, uh, you're going to get straightened out. When I give you a call and tell you, hey, Michael, come with a suit, that's the night. Yeah. I got that call, you know, a couple of days before, and uh, I was told it's, it's going to be Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve, John had everybody down at the Ravenite on Mulberry Street. Anyway, so, you know, Christmas Eve party. Yeah. Uh, Christmas party. So we went down to uh, this club uh, uh, on Mulberry Street, and then we walked down to where uh, this apartment was. And I, w- I walk in the apartment, and there's two separate doors, one to the left, one to the right. I go into the one to the left, and Jackie, who was my, Jackie D'Amico, who was my captain, goes into the one to the right. Mm-hmm. So I walk in there, there's uh, four other gentlemen, and then we're waiting in the room, and, uh, you know, the, the door, one door knocks, and you get out, one guy goes in, which was doing your first, and uh, he goes into the room, and they do the ceremony. Next guy goes in, that was the third knock. So when I walk in, uh, there's a big rectangle of table with Gravano, Lucasio, and uh, D'Amico sitting in the front, and all these other captains sitting around the table. So you walk in a room and you sit down, 
day to sit down. They ask you, you know, why you're here? And the obvious answer is uh, yes, right? No. You got to say no. You got to start out this life with a lie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the first thing you do is lie. No. <laughs> but you know why you're there. Yeah. So he says, uh, we've been watching you for a long time. This is not a club. This is a secret society. Do you like these men in this room? And you got to answer. He says, uh, would you like to be part of our society? And you answer in the affirmative. He says, um, hold it. Which finger you shoot with? And you stick out your, my trigger finger. There's a picture of a saint, a, uh, a needle, and uh, matches. So he says, uh, I'm going to prick your finger, put blood on the saint, and light it on fire and put it in the palm of your hands. And you're going to repeat after me. We go through that. So as the saint's burning in your hand, you, you're rolling it back and forth so you don't get burned. <laughs> yeah, I wondered so, about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got just roll it around. Okay. You, know, you crumple it up and you roll it around. And you say, if I betray the oath over murder, may my soul burn in hell like the saint. Yeah. So you drop the ashes on the floor. Congratulations. And you go around it. You go around. You kiss everybody. Everybody gives you congratulations. You come back in. You put uh, everybody what they call locking in. Everybody holds hands around the whole table, hmm. and uh, they say whatever stays in this, whatever said in this room stays in this room. Hmm. Called locking in. And they do it in Sicilian, but that that's what it said. So uh, now you sit down at the table uh, with the other two guys that were ahead of me, John and this guy Dom. The other two guys go through the same ceremony. Now they read you uh, the rules, rules and regulations. And everything is what you could get killed for. Yeah. So, you know, you don't deal drugs. One captain takes that. You don't deal in stocks and bonds. Another captain takes that. Now, the guy who says you don't deal drugs is a major, major drug dealer. <laughs> major yeah. Dealer. <laughs> and there's a Patsy Conti, another international heroin dealer. <laughs> and you're looking around, you know, yeah, I'm an independent thinker. I'm a pragmatic guy, you know. Yeah. You, know, I, you don't ask what you would think when they would say that because you're being, you may not leave the room. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and everybody thinks, I say, wow, what hypocrisy here, you know what I mean? Really? The town you could get killed for. <laughs> so everything everybody tells you you could get killed for, you go, you raise your hands to a member, you're going to get killed. Yeah. Uh, you go with you, you, uh, another member's wife or daughter and you're married, or, or you go with another member's wife, no matter married or not, you're getting killed. Yeah. You know, if you're married and you go with a uh, made member's relative, daughter, niece, etc., you're going to get killed. Yeah. So at one point, you know, they're finishing up and they said, any questions? I would have raised my hand and said, is there anything we could do as criminals that we, that we don't get killed for? <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, the stocks, the, the stocks and bonds, you ended up making some money out of stocks and bonds, as I understand. Oh, they, they made money in stocks and bonds. There's another hypocrisy. So most of these rules... Uh, hypocrisy and uh, you know they're taking advantage of and have been before and after taking yeah. advantage of so uh, you know that's that's basically uh, what the ceremony was you know it's, it was a very proud moment you know it's a yeah. you, know, you know it's a, a moment that I, I made it an accomplishment it's like going to college and graduating med school yeah, yeah. You, See, know, you spent yeah. all this time and effort and energy and and uh, you know practical learning. Yeah, you know, just like you're doing anything else, any profession, it's the pinnacle. And here I am. You're like, you're like me when I found out I passed the bar. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. You want to celebrate. Yes. So, so I, I, another question about, uh, you mentioned uh, Sammy Gravano was there. Now, you had uh, quite a little bit to, to do with Savannah, uh, Sammy the, the Bull, and, and he's, another, he's another lightning rod for mob fans out there in, in oh, yeah, a different way. He's, you know, he's going to start his own podcast he, he's claiming right yes. now. Oh, did you? Oh, you do? You're on in touch with him. Interesting. Well, is oh, he yeah. going to get that started? Yeah. Yes, he's, he's almost done. 
knows that. Okay. Well, uh, tell him. Tell him. Uh, give me a little interview, and I'll I'll uh, promote him. <laughs> no, I'll promote him. Any? I'll promote. I'm surprised you did that. Uh, that guy valued that. Surprised you did that. Uh, so I'll. Uh, uh, I'm really surprised. He must have did that for promotional purposes because the guy gets a lot of hits. Yeah. So I didn't ask him why, but uh, yeah, uh, he was he wasn't doing anything with anybody until I seen that. Yeah. Okay. Well, he'll get started one of these days. Yeah, I'm not gonna not ask. I'll yeah. definitely throw it out there. Yeah, that's uh, that's all right, and and I'll promote it anyhow. Uh, I you know I say no, a, a rising tide floats all boats, so uh, we all need to right. do this thing. Well, you know, no, you know that that that's a good point. That uh, you know you just could uh, bounce off each other because he won't have your audience unless uh, yeah. your audience knows about it through you. So maybe yeah, you can accommodate me. Yeah, I, I could tell him where all the mob fan sites are. I could tell him where all the mob uh, Facebook pages are and the people that pay a lot of attention. And and he'll get he'll get a pretty good following. He'll grow pretty quick. You you know I don't make any money yet, but uh, maybe I will one of these days. You have to have a lot of followers to to get ads. But he he probably he has a possibility of doing that because he has such a, a well known name recognition. So anyhow, uh, enough discussion of, of uh, podcast business. Uh, you ended up getting into the construction business, and, and um, well, how, how that happened was how did um, yeah yeah I, as a kid you know uh, you want to go to work as as a kid or later on you come out of guys come out of jail we had a lot of units so I knew we were like hollowing holes for uh, people in need who wanted a job. As a kid, I went to work for Local Twenty Three, which was a laborers union. Uh, they were with the Gambino family forever, and their family, Jardinas. And then uh, you know, later on, uh, I got involved with the Teamsters to, to Gravano after, they, after uh, Paul gets killed. And uh, Di Bernardo, they killed Di Bernardo. You know, Sammy has the union, has the Teamsters, and I get a job through Sammy. So I was a Teamster for a while also. So when Sammy flips, right? So Sammy flips yeah. in 91, November 91. John Gotti, at one point, probably 92, he was locked up in MCC still, tells uh, Jackie Nose, who's going up the business, his brother Pete, and I want Michael to take over what Sammy had in the construction business. And he says, uh, and Eddie Garofola, which was Sammy's brother-in-law, was helping Sammy run all the construction in New York. The message was, there's a good, pretty good message, but a little funny. I guess not it's funny now, but then it wasn't. He comes down with Jackie, and I, of course I drove Jackie up to MCC to see uh, John in jail. Yeah, and he says I got good news for you. He says uh, John wants you to handle all the construction for our family, unions, et cetera, concrete, et cetera. So I'm looking, I'm saying, Sammy just flipped. Yeah, jail yeah, sentence. yeah. Was prison sentence. <laughs> okay. So that guy, thank you very much. He says, well, one thing. He says you can go supply Eddie right now. Tell Eddie. If any one of you fuck up, you rob any money, you screw up, we'll kill them the both of you. Mm-hmm. So I look up and say, that's another good thing. I thought we were going to get good news here. <laughs> really? <laughs> no pressure. So that, that's how I wound up with the construction business was John Gotti appointed to that. Wow. So when when Sammy flipped, he did he either didn't talk about you or he didn't really have anything that he could talk about on you or, or oh, something? Yeah, 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 yeah. He, uh, he must have forgot to be in uh, a murder and a murder conspiracy. Oh, wow. Uh, he must have forgot. And, um, and the construction stuff, whatever they knew a little bit about the construction of me being involved into it, too. Yeah. That was very minimal. Sammy uh, really, like, I guess, protected me and shielded me. Yeah. With a lot of other guys in his crew. But uh, and I guess I, I knew Sammy since a little boy. Yeah. So and I was very, very close with Sam. Not that if you were close with Sammy, he, he wouldn't kill you. <laughs> yeah. He did. He killed a lot of his friends. But uh, for one reason or another, that's 
conversation for another day, I guess. I was very close, and Sammy had left me on a lot of stuff. So at that, you know, at that period of time, you know, you don't know when the DFIs would come and lock you up. So you know, you, you play day by day. You know, at that time, yeah. you figured, you know, then his material comes out when he starts cases, and you start going through the stuff, saying, hey, "He left me out of this one. Yeah. He left me out of a murder. You know, he left me out of this murder conspiracy. We went to go kill a guy. And, yeah, uh, still a conspiracy to murder. Yeah, but I, he left me out of that one." And you look at a little bit of construction, maybe a little Shylock and a little this and that. Nothing. Come and get me. I, I won't even take my socks off for those counts. Yeah, know? yeah. And you want to before. So yeah. which never transpired. And, and uh, along with about eight or nine of his guys in his personal crew that never went to jail for them. Yeah. And, and, protected, you know? and the gover- government. Protected. Either way, I wasn't there to say there was a protection or not protection. But yeah. They never went to jail. Yeah. The, the government wanted Gotti so bad. Uh, yeah. I, I think you know they they were they did they put all their resources into that and and probably didn't care so much about spinning out into other things at that point in time and 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 Sammy probably you know he probably indicated didn't really certain people he didn't want to to do anything yeah. to yeah. and but I'll give you the big guy and and you know we all make deals with the devil in in one way or the other in our lives and well uh, what the government really really got out of Sammy was uh, uh, twofold. They didn't need Sammy for John. Yeah. They didn't need Sammy for, they didn't need Sammy for Sammy. They were all dead from John's tapes. In the oh, tape. yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. What he, what he does, what he does, he's able to give you the inner workings of everything in, in our family and the rest of the families of unions, murders, yeah. who's who, who's what, where, where, where they sit on the map, who's the pecking order. Yeah. You know, on all the cases that were made after John, because John was dead. You know, everybody says Sammy put John away. No, John put John away with his mouth. He was gone. Yeah. You know, Sammy just used an escape route, yeah. you know, for himself to get out from under, from listening to those tapes. Yeah. You now, John, on those tapes, he, he's lobbying Frankie Locascio to kill Sammy. There's no, no question. Yeah. You know, but when Sammy heard that, that was his escape route. It was an easy route for him to say, fuck this, I'm out. Yeah. This guy was looking to clip me. You know, so uh, anyway, you know, you know what? Uh, he heard the, the rest of the world. He, he heard the rest of the world through John's mouth. Yeah, who opened up the Pandora's box. Yeah, uh, let, let me like an example. Let me tell you this one story and ask you if you even knew anything about this. Uh, one thing Sammy gave up, he gave up a, a really valuable connection that uh, Gotti had and could have passed along to others into the. Uh, New York City Police Department, the uh, intelligence unit. Even this guy named uh, I think it's William uh, Peast, P-I-E-S-T. I, yeah, yeah. I, I got a friend of mine here in Kansas City that actually I worked on ten uh, about twenty years ago. I worked on him and followed him, and 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 he ended up catching the case and and did about ten years. And he came back out, uh, got in the used car business, and and we kind of we got hooked up in the last year or so. And and hell, we meet for coffee about once a week anymore. And he oh, nice. would. He was telling me this story about a guy he was in, uh, I think maybe Yankton with uh, a guy named William Peast, who was a New York City detective, and, and he went down because he had been informant of John Gotti, and I, I'd never heard that story before. Yeah. And, and uh, Gravano, uh, as I checked into it, I found out uh, Gravano gave him up, and and they, and they caught him dirty. They already had a lot of information, but they, they didn't have that final little piece that—, that would That's put right. it together, and Gravano put that together for him. And and, and this guy, he 
he had an interesting story. I, I did a whole podcast on it, so you guys out there have to go back and listen to that podcast about uh, the uh, Gotti's informant. I think is the title of it. But uh, you know that was that was a really valuable connection. That guy uh, was providing yeah, him everything. Enforcement. Yep. And, and, and uh, it was there was also the, the woman in the. Uh U.S. Attorney's Office. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that yeah, one. So yeah. They, 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 he did a lot of damage yeah. uh, in, in other areas. That's what I needed Sam Preston. He was a wealth of knowledge, and he was impressed. I would say of 90% of the things that were going on in the city, just about every family. You know, he was a wealth of knowledge. You know, in that— uh, Because he was a very trusted figure. Sammy was loved. Yeah, I, I can see up. that. You know, after a while, he started killing everybody. He was all friends. He started to wane a little. People started yeah. to say, oh you know, but the, uh, a lot of people love Sammy. Yeah. yeah, no question. Kind of a funny story about him in that one article I read about the piece is the FBI agent that kind of took him away that day from uh, MCC. Sammy asked him, he said, well, where are you from? And and he said, well, I'm from Iowa. And, and he's kind of, he said, you know, he said, sardonically, I would say, he, he said, you know, if I'm going to start trusting an FBI agent, it might as well be one from Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> I just, you know, like here in the Midwest, we kind of have this homespun cornbread, you know, like, you know, square John kind of a, a Dudley Durack kind of a reputation, which I don't buy. That's, you know, that's how I am. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I thought that was interesting that if you're going to trust anybody in the FBI, it should be somebody from Iowa. <laughs> yeah, well, you know what? Because there's no, uh, the, the mentality, there's no Italians there. There's no OC, really. Yeah. Know? There's no. So uh, I'm safe. Yeah, yeah. There you go. So anyhow, he knows how to corrupt. He knows what corruption comes out of New York, New York, Chicago. Yeah. Oh God, I know. So uh, he trusts those guys. Yeah, I I understand. Uh, Let's see, where are we at? We are coming down here closer to the end of uh, uh, before you catch a a pretty important case here. Uh, Several cases, it looks like. I I see. uh, and I have one. Uh, I have a inter- I have a question. We have a local story here. You were extorting cash from scores, a, a strip club supposedly, and uh, uh, we had a, or one of our local guys. He he hired a couple of guys who to put a stick of dynamite underneath the strip club's owner's car and and just set it off without him there. And and then he was going to come back around and say, Hey, you know these guys. I got these two guys are really mad at you, and you know I can probably take care of that. But you know we're going to have to work something out here. <laughs> and, and, and you didn't do anything no. like that, did you? No, 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 no need, no need. It's uh, in, the, in New York. It's between the construction. They call it construction extortion, but we didn't extort anybody. We yeah. were hand in glove with the contractors. Yeah. So uh, the government wasn't happy tonight with uh, had that position on that because uh, everybody made money. Yeah, you were all and making money. When I started, it was that that was in place. Yeah. So uh, what scores? Yeah, what scores in uh, the Gold Club in Atlanta, which is uh, Stevie Capital, which me John Junior put it with me. I yeah, was with several other people before they died. Uh, were murdered, uh, and then later on he wound up in my lap, a real good Jewish kid, uh, you know, who had the gold club in Atlanta. Yeah. And uh, I was involved in that. I was arrested in that case. Uh, the government brought me down for a, a token Italian mobster to dirty up the case. Ah, uh, I see. And, uh, so uh, I wound up getting acquitted in that. And uh, if you ever go through that case, yeah. you can make a movie there, whether it be a comedy, satirical, or whatever, <laughs> it would be a great movie because the things that went on in that case were on unheard of I got acquitted there just about the whole office there had to resign I left in Northern Northern District of Georgia in Atlanta I'll have to look that one up later on I knew I was going to get arrested 
uh, within a year. I told my lawyer, get ready, and several other people get arrested again. The government ain't going to put up with me beating the case on a major case like that. Uh, it was the biggest case in the country at the time. There was Patrick Ewing, uh, basketball players, Andrew Jones, a baseball player, showed up. They were going to subpoena the, the, the uh, king of Norway. He was on the list. Oh, really? I mean, that, uh, yeah, that, all, all kinds of athletes and wrestlers. And, and Madonna was on the list. They had, and all kinds of people that were called. The judge really tried to discourage the prosecution to keep calling these witnesses. They had over 100 witnesses on a sex case. Yeah, you know, and then again putting the New York mobster in there trying to put color in it but I wound up beating the case yeah. I won a miracle in the south uh, which I was told by the prosecutor the reason why I brought you down here is you're in the, you're in the bible belt you're never going to win down here oh yeah I said so I dug my heels in with him <laughs> yeah and, uh, and that was it I, I got lucky yeah so then a year later I get arrested in this other case in a murder case that uh, I did not participate in I could spy in it but yeah. through certain federal laws, you could uh, they, it, it's conspiracy gets grand and and, uh, and wide ranging and over uh, oh yeah overarching oh yeah that re- uh, that Rico statue yeah. man that thing has just decimated uh, mob families yeah and that's what I got caught up into and as uh, from a conspiracy which I was definitely involved the conspiracy digging holes etc. Uh, waiting for the guy to show up and he don't show up. Yeah. You know, uh, somebody's supposed to get this guy and bring him to the house and kill him. But uh, then it was dropped and about a week, uh, 10 days later or so, uh, the Jersey family, the Catholic family guys, uh, wind up killing him. John embarrassed the, uh, the boss there because the guy who was supposed to bring him in was one of their members. Oh, yeah. And the guy uh, didn't, may believe he couldn't find him. That's what we thought. He didn't get killed by our hand. You know, the, the Jersey guys killed. So anyway, they put this together, this case. A lot of the Jersey guys flipped. And they, they even though I never did anything with those guys in the case, the, the government had them say, well, I shouldn't say it like that. I know, I know, but it probably feels like it. Uh, indicted me <laughs> yeah. along uh, with some other guys <laughs> in my family on the word of these Jersey guys. Yeah. Which I never did anything with, zero. So they, But they were expert on me and everybody else. So, uh, yeah, that's how I wound up in that case. And later on, we'll let me uh, flip it in it. Yeah, that's uh, that's what I understand is, is when you're in the, in the joint, uh, you, you did you actually get a sentence or were you still? Uh, I was, uh, yeah, I was arrested uh, June 20th, denied uh, bail in August. And I flipped somewhere in, I would say, late November. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, with the, you know, when I when I got locked up, I had a lot of money in the stock market. That stock market guys, uh, construction, my own businesses, and everything else going on. We're doing pretty well for myself. Oh yeah, that, and uh, that's right. I, I got one other question about that stock market thing. I jokingly said you guys dealt in stocks and bonds. Were you? Didn't I read somewhere where you're involved in a pump and dump stop, stock yeah. scam? Yep, I had, not me personally. I wouldn't know what to do with stocks. I'm not. A, uh, I'm not. I'm not a stock guy. Yeah. But I had guys around me, uh, associates around me that uh. I had uh, involved in the stock market that were doing big numbers. You know, pumping and dumping. And, you know, uh, promoting these stocks and then uh, with calls on phones, calling all over the world, not even the country, taking their money in uh, shell companies and uh, taking their money and just pulling the plug on it. Yeah, you know, yeah. And people lose their money, and, and that was really prevalent in all six families, including the Jersey family in New York. There was hundreds of probably 
I don't know how many. There was guys going in clubs throwing the 60,000 in score, throwing it up in the air, just like making it rain. They, that's saying, making it rain. 60,000 in wow. running. There was so much money being made. Yeah. Uh, so they, they really manipulated the market until the government came in and yeah. crushed everybody. I, I noticed but, that. Uh, yeah, I was involved in that too with some associates of mine, and we made some money. Yeah, yeah sure. I, I noticed that the Sopranos did a, a, a kind of a short uh, two or three episodes around them being involved in a guy doing a pump and dump thing. So they like that stuff ripped from the real life. Uh, everything about that show, I don't know if you ever watched it, but uh, uh, you probably look at it with the, like I watch police shows. You probably watch the Sopranos like I watch police well, shows. Yeah, but- I, I think I'll give you a, a little story with the Sopranos. I, I watch very few episodes, and I'll tell you why. There was one episode, Tony Sirico plays Paulie Walnuts, it's from my neighborhood. Yeah, we are. Right, and so is the Shripper and a couple of the other guys, they're from my neighborhood. Yeah. And uh, I don't know this guy, Paulie, uh, Sirico. Right? What's his name? It's really Paulie, it's Sirico, isn't it? Tony Sirico. I think so, yeah. Tony Sirico? Uh, I, get, I can't Excuse remember. me for not knowing the first name. I yeah. I draw the blank on him. <laughs> but what happened was there was one episode that I watched. I started watching the beginning just to see because I was hearing that the uh, you know, we were modeling over the Jersey family and all that because the Jersey guys got caught on tape well, from a cooperator talking about that the Sopranos were based on them and they were giggling over it. I don't know yeah, I heard, I heard that, yeah. <laughs> so well, there was this one episode where one of the wives was looking to screw the priest. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you see remember that episode? Yeah, I saw that, and yeah. That really made me bristle. <laughs> yeah. Was, you know, uh, you know, you could talk about Italians all day long. Now you want to see our wives a fuck, want to fuck a priest. Yeah, that you know, that, that was a bit far. Yeah, Chase, I found out after that was Italian. Yeah, and uh, you know, I I, I I put word out if anybody finds this Sirico walking around the neighborhood, you bring him to me. I, you know, I was going to put him on the spot, and you go tell tell that prick. Excuse my language. Yeah, you better stop that shit. Yeah, so, really. You know, you talk about us all you want. Yeah, talk about Italians. We we we're open. We're open, you know. We're, we're open for uh, attack by anybody, but do not bring the, tell our wives to fuck a priest. That was low. Yeah, that was. I, I remember that's thinking. Off, that's why I really never watched that show. Yeah, that that was a, a bridge too far. I always thought a lot of the stuff. I look at things and judge it by the reality of it, and I know a little bit about it. And and that was a bridge too far. I knew that. And I don't like it when they go into unreality. Yeah. Uh, I believe it. I'm not a real religious guy. I'm yeah. A Catholic. You know what I mean? I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe in all that stuff. So nice. You know, I don't believe in the church. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. You know, that's a money machine. But, you know, that that's, like you said, a bridge too far is a good uh, <laughs> way to put it. Yeah. So anyhow, you're you're in jail and, and they send word to you that, that you're not part of it anymore. Yeah, well, what happened was uh, I was having a little issues on the outside with the new administration because when I was on trial, I beat my case August 30th. Of 2001. During the course of that, they, they put a new new uh, administration in place, boss under boss and uh, consigliere. I was offered a couple of years earlier by John Gotti, who was away at the time, to his brother Pete, for me to be consigliere mm-hmm. and, uh, of the family. And I declined, which was uh, probably a mistake in hindsight. I probably wouldn't be here today if I, I accepted it. Yeah. But nonetheless, I declined for a lot of reasons, and maybe we could talk about that another time. That's a long way with one. So, when this new administration's in place, the consigliere they, they, they pick was a guy from Canarsie. And uh, those guys really don't like guys from Bensonhurst, especially me. Yeah. I had a lot, of, a lot of clout. I had really tight with the old timers. I was really tight with the Sicilians. Um, I, I, I articulated my ancestry before, so 
they were really, you know, like an adversary with uh, Ben Sinner's guys. So anyway, when this new administration gets in place, the rules change. Everything starts to change. And I beat my case, which was a miracle. Nobody thought I was beating the case. Everybody thought I was getting convicted in Atlanta. Who's going to win in Atlanta? Yeah. But a miracle happened. I got I got I got acquitted. So when I come home, it's all these little beefs that I got to start fielding with these guys. You know, it's new administration. Yeah. So uh, Picotti had to like almost like sell me out with, with this one thing about the stock market. And I was pretty pissed off at him, and I went to see him over it, and I told him that. So Pete gets arrested. And Pete says, no, nah, that don't mean nothing anyway. So Pete gets arrested. And I got arrested two weeks later in June. Yeah. So before all this stuff is, is really this beef that I was talking about, the stock market, is fixed. So as I'm sitting in jail and in the holding in, in MCC, my girlfriend at the time, you know, it was about two or three weeks before they allowed her to come up. They were screwing my visiting list. Well, yeah. I couldn't even make phone calls. Hey, when she finally comes up, you know, you try, you try to talk there, say, uh, anybody come around? You know, give you money? You know, it didn't start so many times. She says no. Yeah. I go, what do you mean no? What do you mean nobody came around? What do you mean nobody came around? And I got three tattoo piles. I got trucking business. I got, this. Yeah. I got a lot of things going on. Shylock business, you know? Now I get on the phone, I call my ex-wife to talk to my son. Yeah, my first son went to vote for a previous marriage, you know, and uh, she's pissed off. I had no money, this now with no money. Yeah, what do you mean no money? They always bring anything. I'm saying to myself, you know, what do you mean? No? So I start getting my partner because I don't have any visits outside of my girlfriend. Because she allowed one friend. I got no blood relatives to come up. That's a relative. Yeah, you understand that MCC only had one friend, and Madeline, being she was my girlfriend, not my wife at the time, come up with a little boy. He was just two years old. You know, I, I, I ain't giving her any messages to bring out. No way. So now I had to go through lawyers, you know, write letters, put them seal letters and tell the lawyer, go give this to what's his name and burn the letter or tear it up to a million pieces after you finish reading it. Right? So there's no evidence out there. And then the message I would be getting back is, you know, you got an uncovered. Eddie Garofalo, my partner, was arrested with me. And that was Sammy Gravano's brother-in-law. Yeah. So we're arrested in this case with a couple other guys. My brother-in-law from the first marriage is arrested with me. And uh, Sammy's, uh, you know, Sammy's the guy who pointed the captain, Louis Valerio, since I know where I was born, was he was arrested with me. Just about whatever crew I had uh, in the street left, besides because I had other guys that went to prison before that. Yeah. You know, my whole crew was wiped off the street before and then now when I, we're all arrested together. These questions I'm getting, uh, uh, these answers I'm getting back to some of the questions, where's my money? What's going on out there? You know? Yeah. So uh, I get a message through Eddie. I told, because Eddie's son comes up and Eddie sent a message to his son to go see a wise guy, Thomas Carbonara, and uh, tell him, if his hands are tied and the son's going on, I want to know. Yeah. He sends back a message here. I tell him, it's, tell Michael's hands are tied. Well, look, you know, now I started saying, what's going on out there? You shut me out? My my ex-wife's telling me the phone, she don't have enough money to pay electric bill. Yeah. Madeline's got the little kid over here. Nobody's bringing any money to the house. What the hell's going on? I started getting really angry. One message I sent out, probably one of the last ones I sent out, was uh, tell those guys, I don't remember dying, and I don't remember get, getting life. I may come home one day. Yeah. Still, yeah. You know? So I, 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 I threw a thread out there. I mean, like, well, a wake-up call, a thread, whatever, how they want to interpret it. But I was steaming at this time. You know what he's doing? I got no commissary. I'm not going to tell anybody to put money in my commissary. Who are we going to put? Nobody's getting money. I'm going to tell women to put money in my commissary. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Now I'm finding out, you know, uh, that Frankie DeChico's uncle is a captain. 
and I call him Uncle George. Like I said, I know him from birth down, married his niece. Yeah. You understand? So even though I'm not married to the niece, he's still a captain and our family. <laughs> he goes in, from what I understand, there's the message. When he goes in and asks him, the fuck he's doing to my nephew? Because he's hearing it more than I am. He's in the street, you know? Yeah. We, they, they tell him, mind your business when it comes to him. So this is the message I get back. Because I sent him out a message to go see Sal Romano with the stocks. Where's the stock Give me sign any money. You know, well, these guys, these guys are millionaires out there. Where's the money? You know, nobody yeah. wants to go to my house. No, everybody's afraid to go to my house because they were told to stay away. You understand? Yeah. I got guys I know since 16 years old that are going around trying to collect my money without sending me a message. Yeah. Say, Michael, I'm on the spot. They're collecting the money. They're threatening them to go go get Michael's money wherever it is and bring it in. Yeah. I'm getting, I'm getting physically stripped of, of all my resources, Bugada, family resources, and my own personal money. Yeah. And, and, and we're supposed to feed families. So I sent a message out. What am I supposed to do? I got families to feed out there. You know what they said? What? Tell, tell your girlfriend go on welfare. <laughs> oh, that was cold. That was a cold shot. And your whole yeah, crew's in jail. I'm getting, right? Tell her to go on welfare. Oh, yeah. Oh, really? Okay. I'm really pissed now, right? I'm calling for lawyers to come up, send a message to stop these guys. Like I said, one of the last messages I sent was, I don't remember getting life. I don't remember dying. After that message, a couple of weeks later, Madeline comes up with the baby, and a couple of my friends driver were driving her up to the, the visits and waiting outside for her to come, uh, you know, come out. Yeah. There's a, there's a fellow named Noel Mordica. His father was a wise guy. I took him out of another crew and put him with me when I, when I became a captain. This guy's father was my grand, was in my grandfather's crew going back to the early 1900s. They were their best friends. So I have a long history with them. So when this kid comes up driving my, my girlfriend at the time, he tells her a message, which I don't want no message going to women. But yeah. he told her this message anyway. He says, tell Michael that Noel's father said, I don't know why they're doing this to him. Meaning me. You know, yeah. Why they're right. doing this to me. He heard that I was on the shelf. They should never put him on the shelf. Some to that, to, to that language. So when she's telling me, I'm saying, what did she say? She said, I don't know. He's, Noel told me to tell you his father said, son, it's not right what they're doing to you. About something with a shelf. I don't know what he's talking about. I look across the room. I see nothing. I said, get up and go home. Yeah. I get up and go home. I just got here. Get up and go home. Gets up and gets the baby. Kid's screaming. She gets out. She's upset. What are you throwing me out for? You know, I I went in the room. I cried for four hours. Man. You know what I'm saying? They broke me. They put me on the shelf. What did I do? And that was a, that was a tipping point where broke me. It really broke me. It broke my spirit. You know, it, it's, I can it's imagine. The thing. There is no excuse. I, the money was nothing. Gary, believe me when I tell you. Yeah. The money only got me mad. You know what I mean? I had to, it, the money only got me mad. Yeah, you can always it's, get more money. Yeah, you know, again, I guess that would have worked itself out. I would have had some other people that I know could bring money to my, the, the, the people that needed it to eat. Yeah. You know, I didn't pay bills. That would have been no problem. I had, guy, I, I had one guy wanted to pay for my lawyer. I told him, I don't want your money. I want my money. <laughs> yeah. early on. I didn't know... I don't know. He knew that uh, they were, you know, they were they were holding back all my money, but they must have known it. I never knew, you know, they were going to do it at that level. That grander scale shut me out of every penny. I could use it for a commissary. So again, that's not an excuse. Yeah, believe me. Yeah, if I ever wrote a book, it would be there, there are no excuses because there is no excuse for flipping. No matter what I just articulated to you. Yeah, you know, I never should have flipped. No matter why, I should have took the pain. You know, but at that moment in time, I could see. At a very, very, very weak moment in my life where you took every fiber of my body and just ripped it out of my DNA. Everything that I knew about that life, the way I talk, we talked about for this hour or so, 
is you took that all away from me. Yeah. The reason why I'm in prison is because of that life. That's not nothing I did. It's yeah. I was ordered to do. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what like, you mean. Whatever I was instructed to do was for the family. And I was willing to take that burden and go back to trial. The other trial I was facing 70 years if you add up all the counts. Yeah. Minimum 20 with just what I could team account if I got convicted. I didn't flip in that case. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, and if, you, if anybody wants to go back and go on the computer and look, go look at all my pictures that are coming to that courtroom. I'm laughing at everyone and having a great time. I thought you can make a movie out of that, that trial. Four months <laughs> I was on trial to the day. How many yeah. people are staying on trial for four months every day? <laughs> really? You know? So, again, again, no excuse. I'm just telling you, I had a weak moment. It broke my heart. And, and, and I, had, uh, I decided to fuck this one out. They want to do this to me? How can you do this to me? Yeah, really. So, and, and again, I regret it. I should never have done it. But that was the moment at that time. I could sit here today as a free guy, strong again, mentally, physically, and everything else, you know. Uh, I could be blaming everybody. I blame nobody for cooperating. I blame me. Because under no circumstances, I should have cooperated. Yeah. Well. That was the time at that time, and that's what happened. It, it is what it is, as they say. And uh, you know, that, that was that then, and this is now. Yep. A guy can only take so much sometimes. And, and, yeah, you know what? And I, and I prided myself on being part Viking. You yeah. know what I mean? Uh, at that time. And, uh, you know, saying, bring it, I'll take it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Bring it, I'll take it. But this was something that was never in my mind. And, you know, I talked to my uh, my now wife. She stayed with me, thank God. Yeah. Kid, till today. She could have ran away. Took the money, took the house, took whatever it was, and stayed away from me. Kid was only two years old, started to life. We had these conversations at times, and she says, what did you expect? <laughs> I says, I expected them what I told you. If I die, or if I go to prison, you'll be taken care of the rest of your life. Don't worry about it. Well, and so my ex-wife thought the same thing, because I told her that when I met her. Don't worry about it. You'll be taken care of. Yeah. I never thought my brothers, all of them, would be able to shun me. Even on the sneak, they didn't go take care of what they had to take care of. I had three tattoo parlors. Guy came to the house, and only bought in one week. Twenty five dollars. <laughs> that was an insult. I told him you should have threw right in his face. Yeah, that was an insult. Then said, "You going to give me twenty five dollars?" Yeah, and he was a good kid. I got him a job, and he wasn't a wise guy. He was one of the guys that I, helped. I put in place to. He was on the spot. He probably was mortified. Yeah. So you know, again, uh, you know, this is this is that life, and shame on me for not realizing it and and saving enough money and putting <laughs> away enough money. For uh, something bad to happen. Yeah. And but Gary, again, the people could be skeptical. Of, you know, he's just saying things. Again, I, I, I don't hold no grudges with anybody today. Yeah. But if I had in my mind to flip, I have a couple of million dollars put away. Yeah. I would have left with a couple of million dollars. I would have been prepared. Yeah. So Gary, <laughs> uh, Gary I, had, I had a suicide attempt. Yeah, I, I saw. I saw that. that. I had a suicide attempt. I ate sixty pills when I got on the bail. After I flipped, they wanted me to go out the street. We call people. Yeah, I was so sick. I went to a psychiatrist. I told her, I need, I need uh, two months supply. <laughs> they, they gave me sixty pills. And then he went upstairs. I took all sixty to kill yeah. myself. I want to die a good soldier. <laughs> I don't want. I don't want. That's a guy that wants to flip. That, that's a guy who was yeah. uh, being selfish, thinking about himself. I couldn't handle that. Yeah, I tried to fucking kill myself. Now, that was another bridge too far. Asking you to wear a wire, going back out and wear a wire yeah, on, yeah, on your yeah, friends. Again, you know, when I walked, got off the elevator to the prosecutor's office, I, I went to throw up all over it. Yeah, I can imagine. I knew what I did, but I knew once, once I got off that elevator, I was in trouble. I know that they would put it out there that I walked in that office. You know? Yeah, and my life was over. 
Yeah. At that point in the street, you know, and uh, so it took me a while longer after I tried to kill myself. They brought me back to MCC, put me in that torture unit. You know, several months later in March, I decided to cooperate. My girlfriend would come up and say, "Look at you! You're down to what? How much you weigh now?" <laughs> you know, a skeleton. And uh, what do you want? Do you want to die in there? Look at your son. You let this kid be fatherless. Yeah. Uh, and that again, another weak moment. And then I decided to fully cooperate. Because I stopped when I when I they put me on a bed and tried to kill myself. I stopped cooperating. I said, just let me die in here and that's it. You know, through hard, you know, giving me uh, a lot of guilt. Yeah. Because it was a lot of self-loathing, Gary. You know what I mean? And uh, I didn't like myself. I didn't like myself for a very long time. Even when I got out of prison, I didn't like myself. You know, because you, you build up a legacy. Your family build up a legacy. Whether it's a dirty legacy or whether it's a... a criminal legacy legacy nonetheless is something that I wanted to do you know my whole life yeah that 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 was a very tough time yeah you know know, very very tough time Michael, you're like a guy that I once knew that was uh, in a smaller level, but he was a pretty successful, uh, had a pretty successful little uh, off uh, a criminal operation, shall we say? And but he and he was smart and he was charismatic and and great native intelligence and. And we'd get together. He, I tried to get him to tell me stuff, and he really wouldn't. He was trying to pick my brain more than he probably learned more from me about how law enforcement worked than I learned from him. But we were constantly picking each other's brain. And, you know, you kind of you join get some kind of mutual admiration of, for each other, mutual friendship. And, and I told him once, I said, dude, if you would take all that intelligence and organizational ability and and your brain and put it into something legitimate, you could make a good living, man. And he said, oh, he said, that wouldn't be any fun. <laughs> so you're one of those guys, Michael. If you oh, start out early and taking the native intelligence you've got, uh, just uh, you could have done okay, but it is what it is. Okay, we've been here quite a while. I've held you up yes. quite a while. You know, someday I wouldn't mind getting back in touch with you and, and, yes, and talking absolutely. about more in detail. Like, like I got some questions about this whole thing about the assault on Curtis Sliwa, and, and that's like yeah. crazy if you ask <laughs> me. But uh, interesting thing. Would would you be amenable to that someday? Oh, absolutely. Okay, absolutely. great. Look, uh, Gary, like I said, my, my life is open book. I testify more than anybody in history. Not proud of it. It's just a fact. Uh, yeah, every time I get up there, it was disaster. But uh, anything you ask me, it's been said already. Okay. So there's nothing, there's new, never, no new revelations on my end that I'm disclosing. So if there's people out there that can learn something from this or get an insight of what really goes on in uh, my brother's supposed lives, because I really believe they were my brothers. Yeah. 100%. Even the guys I didn't like, I treated them as what they were. Cosa Nostra. Yeah, I understand. Yep, I know Uh, what you mean. So, thank you so much. And if you have anything further, just give me a call and we'll. Okay, Michael. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye. Okay, wiretappers. That was a most interesting uh, call. The Michael Mikey Scars D. Leonardo, and he gave me kudos on how I said that name. If you remember uh, early on, which is unusual for me. I appreciate you listening in. Uh, I hope you like this and and look forward to another session or two with with him. And and hopefully he's going to get the word to uh, Sammy the Bull Gravano and and we'll get an interview with him. Uh, That would be pretty cool. My public service announcement, if you are a veteran and you believe you have problems that might be from PTSD connected to your service time, 
in particular, call the local vet center, which you know, everybody's got one in a large city. And if you're not in a large city, uh, call your VA hospital that you probably have already gone to for different things. Or there's a national hotline, uh, 1-800-273-8255. Uh, this is not a VA hotline, so when you get on there, press 1 if you're a vet. And you can go to www.ptsd.va.gov. That website has a lot of resources on it, so spouses and and if you're a brother or a parent or something of somebody that may have some problems, why that would be a valuable uh, resource for you to learn a little more about this this problem. You know, don't forget to hit me up on my Venmo app, uh, buy me a cup of coffee or a uh, shot and a beer. Uh, several people have done that. I've given credit before. I need to make up a list and, and give some more credit one of these days. I haven't done that. I'm stuck in here with the coronavirus. I don't have it, but uh, I'm stuck in here doing interviews. I'm getting ready another 20 minutes. I've got another interview coming up. I've been doing three today, and then I'll take me another week to edit them. But I'm going to be ready. When this thing's over, I'm going to be ready with a lot of uh, podcast in the in the can. Uh, you know, Don't forget about my movie, Brothers Against Brothers, the Spiro Sabella War. Don't forget about Gangland Wire. Both those documentaries are available on Amazon for $1.99. Uh, if you make a donation, I will send you the original DVDs, $25 or more. I'll send you the original DVDs uh, with um, at least one of them for $25. You give me more, I, I might throw the other one in. Or my book, Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mob Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. And don't forget about my mob tour app. You want to take a mob tour of Kansas City from your comfort of your home, wherever you are in the, in the world, why, well, get that app in the uh, iTunes store. Good evening, wiretappers. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.